read it, How to Be Together in the Presence of God. We could subtitle it, How to Make People Upset, because that's what happens when you talk about worship. <laughs> Everybody has strong opinions and strong feelings, and there are like nine different worship styles, at least within Protestantism alone. Uh, and everybody has their favor and their reasons, and some people think it's absolutely biblical to do it the way that, and only the way that they do it. And it's a quick way to conflict to talk about worship, especially if you ever talk about changing worship. I and mean, I under, understand that. Uh, Olivia had a conversation with somebody, a, a very well-meaning, sweet sister, but uh, she was talking about what worship should be and a few years ago, and she said, I think worship should be like everybody just comes into a house and... Uh, they bring their own piece of furniture and somebody has a chair and somebody has a couch and somebody has something else. We should just all bring it and mix it together. And uh, Olivia pointed out to this person that doesn't actually work because you already have furniture in the house. <laughs> and somebody's grandma's couch is over there that has to get moved out if you want to move your couch in. And it may be that grandma's couch is pretty uncomfortable now, but it's still grandma's couch. And that's the way people feel about worship, understandably, and they should. I mean, it's not a bad thing to, to say I'm a part of a tradition and I've loved something a certain way for a long time. And this resonates with me because of where I've, been, where I've come from, where I've gone over the years. And, and so for you to come in and say, hey, let's just kick that out and do something else. That's really not very nice and uh, not very, very sensitive to other people. On the other hand, while I'm in complete agreement with that, if we sort of set our feet and say nothing can ever change, that's a sure recipe for the death of the church. If we say, well, well, we're never going to do it any different than the way I've always done it. That's in essence saying, well, I can't learn. And I can't grow. But as, as the people of God, we're called to be learners and growers. We don't think we've got it all figured out. And... Over the years, the church has always been a, a place where people reconsider, not, not, let me be clear, not changing the essence of the gospel and the central matters of the faith, but thinking how, is, how are these principles best instantiated, best brought to light in our current context? How do we, how do we uh, express the gospel now in a way that's most effective? You know, that's just a balance we have to seek, like so many other things we have to... We have to try to, to live in that balance. For me, I'm not big on let's change this and let's change that because of what's cool and current, but because I want to learn from the ancestors of our faith. I believe that throughout Christian history, there have been a lot of uh, beautiful and bright uh, under, uh, ex exponents of the Christian faith, if you want to call them that. And, and, and my growth journey has been learning not to listen to myself and my inclinations, but learning to listen to people who have stood for Christ down through the centuries and looking back and learning from them and, and also appreciating my own tradition and the good things that are in that. So, so we talk about deep worship. I want you to know that's my perspective. It's a balanced perspective. It's appreciative of all the good that's around in various traditions and, and with an understanding that we want to deepen what we're doing with God. Now, I'm just going to make one very simple point today. And expand it a little bit, and then next week we'll get more, uh, we'll, we'll go more deeply into some of these issues and, and nuance more and look at more scripture. But today I just want to say this simple point please let this stay with you if nothing else does from the sermon. Worship is about God. Now I know you already know that, 
But actually, we can, we can kind of get lost sometimes and forget that. So, so I want to tell you that worship is about God. It's about becoming aware of God. And it's even about encountering God. My friend, my good friend Aaron DeGolf, my partner in ministry in Kentucky for years, uh, man of so much integrity and respect for others, he was on an airplane once. And he sat down by a guy. His wife sat in front of him by this guy's friend. And uh, she thought the guy looked like Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, she said to the friend, your friend looks like Kiefer Sutherland. And the friend turned around and said, hey, she thinks you look like Kiefer. And that guy said, well, tell her I am. Now, at this time, years back, some of you may remember the show 24, right? Aaron had never seen the show 24, but Olivia and I really liked it because we like shows where there's a lot of shooting and blood. No, <laughs> no they, did, they really did something revolutionary with television. They, they, they made a suspense uh, for television that was really unique, and we loved it. So Kiefer Sutherland's like, man, he's a big deal. And, uh, um, but Aaron sat there, and, and oh, I don't know if it's through Selinda or his, his wife Selinda or, or what, but he started to think it's Kiefer Sutherland. And then after they got off the plane, they watched him, the way he was dressed. Maybe he had on sunglasses. A car picked him up, a uh, nice-looking car picked him up at the uh, pickup area of the airport. And, and by the time it was over, they, they realized that was, that was Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, Aaron sat there the whole time and hardly spoke to the guy. Now, now, Aaron may have done that out of respect, knowing Aaron, just because he's that kind of guy and he's, he's not going to uh, bother somebody if they don't want to be bothered. But because he didn't really know it was Keeper Sutherland at that time, he missed that opportunity. He could, he could have asked questions, he could have talked to him, but, but he didn't really know, and, and, and he, missed, he missed an opportunity because he wasn't aware. What I want to say to you about, about worship, it's about becoming aware of who is here. And opportunities arise because of that awareness. When I was in my early 20s, Olivia and I were still dating. Uh, we went with my family to California and went to Disneyland. Olivia had never gone to Disneyland as a child. And so when she got there, she was amazed. Looking at all this stuff. I was just like, these lines and this heat get me out of here. But she was looking at all these kids. And that's just kind of her personality. Anyway, she looked at Mary Poppins. It's like she didn't realize that Mary Poppins was real. <laughs> and she really wanted to go and say, Mary Poppins, you're my favorite. I don't think she got to, but she wanted to. Because there's something about being in the presence. You can know somebody exists. You can watch them on TV. But to think you're actually in their presence, that changes things. What I want to say to you about worship, the central idea we have to be grounded in when it comes to deep worship is that God himself is present. And that changes everything. You remember when Moses saw the bush that was on fire? Amazing sight. It wasn't burning up, but it was on fire. He comes close. What does the voice from the bush say to him? My granddad tried to talk about this at the, at the table one time when he was waiting on the Lord's table, and he said he could get kind of confused with words some, and he said, uh, 
that the Lord spoke to Moses and said, take off your feet, Moses. <laughs> what he actually said was, take off your shoes from your feet, Moses. Because you're standing on holy ground. Why was the ground holy? He's been walking all over the ground everywhere, hasn't he? Suddenly, God's presence was there. And that changed everything. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, isn't God present everywhere? Yes, metaphysically, God is everywhere. You can't go somewhere where God is not. But God is not manifestly everywhere. He chooses to manifest himself. And when he does, the ground's holy. And what I want to say to you is that when we assemble as a church, we should recognize that the ground is holy. The whole atmosphere is holy because God is present. Let me just uh, say a little bit about what has happened recently before we, we move on and in, in, um, it may impact the way you think about worship some. Uh, there are different ideas about the way worship functions or the purpose of worship today. And I'll put three of them up there. One I've already touched on, but one I think is the best one, Encountering God. You can see I've been working on my alliteration. Um, the first way some people think of worship today is that it's for the purpose of evangelism. And this has roots, I think, going back to about the 1980s with what's called a seeker-sensitive movement. And if you've heard of that, uh, this, at the center of this movement is Willow Creek Church in Chicago. And I, I want to say, please don't take me being, I always want to qualify, a lot of good. A lot of good comes from things like this, and I don't, I don't mean to be all critical on it. Uh, however, I think they're missing something, because what happens in these seeker-sensitive type churches, which have now spread all over the nation, probably all over the globe, is that the priority is given to outreach, and you design worship for the purpose of outreach. In other words, worship becomes a means to an end. And the priority, you say, is to get people to receive the gospel. Right? And you say, what, what can we do to gather the people in, what would make them come and sit here so that then we can get, download the gospel into them? Oh, they like loud contemporary music. Not that that's wrong, okay? But, but oh, they like um, more of a performance. Maybe they like a concert. Let's do what's most accessible, what's most enjoyable. Let's get people to come in because then if we get them to come in and sit there and listen to the music, then we can tell them about Jesus, and then they'll be saved. See how that works? But what if the point of worship is not to evangelize? Can I say, this, say it to you this way? God is worthy of our worship, whether anybody gets saved or not. And he's worthy of us doing all we can to bring people to him as he is. Not to ourselves, not to their own enjoyment, not to their own fascination with the big show, but to bring people to himself as he is. Worship is not a means to an end. Worship is an end in itself. It is the first end of being God's people. Secondly, and relatedly, there's this idea that worship mainly is about me expressing my emotions. Let me say this to you. Emotions are good things. We're doing emotionally healthy, healthy discipleship right now. I'm all about let's have emotions. And in worship, we can feel our emotions. That's great. I mean, you cannot read the Psalms without realizing that there's a lot of emotional expression there. 
Even things like it talks about nature and the rivers clap their hands. The floods lift up their voice. You know what they're getting at? The trees are bowing down. I mean, I think that's what they would be doing. They're talking about even nature does this. When the trees are blown over, they bend over, they're actually bowing down to God. And when the rivers are bouncing around, they're clapping their hands for God. And when the floods are roaring, they're actually yelling for God. But let's sit here and stare at our songbook. Make sure I hit that high note. No, that's not what we do in worship. So I want to be clear. I'm all for um, vigorous throwing ourselves into worship. However, the point of worship is not for me to express my emotions. The point of worship is for me to come into contact with God. And sometimes that won't be a celebratory feeling. Sometimes that will be a feeling of repentance. Sometimes it will be a feeling of great joy. Sometimes it may cause me to fall on my knees. Other times it may make me want to just shrink back and be invisible, sit down with God. Uh, you know, it's not for me to predict or control that. It's for me to see God as he is. For us to do that in worship together. That's why the last one there, as I've already said, that's the central point we're, we're making today. When we worship, we're encountering God. And when you encounter God, worship just happens. It's the most natural thing in the world to do. Probably the only way not to worship when you encounter God is just to turn your attention away from Him. Otherwise, you're going to be worshiping. I think about Peter, that awesome story. I think it's Luke 5, where. where Jesus tells him, you know, throw your net on the other side. And it's like, you know, he knew Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. This is what happened with the disciples at multiple times, where they're, they're around him, and they're figuring him out, and they know he's different, they know they want to follow him, but then they get some revelation. Jesus tells him, he's a fisherman, he's the guy who knows how to catch fish if anybody does. This is his life. But Jesus says, oh, throw your net over there, pulls in all these fish. He said, I've been fishing all night. There's no fish out here, Jesus. Throw it over there. Pulls in all these fish all of a sudden. And suddenly, Peter is aware that this is no ordinary human being right here. I am in the presence of somebody different. And he's on his knees. <laughs> Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's reminiscent of what happens in Isaiah when Isaiah goes into the temple and says, I looked up and I saw the Lord high and lifted up his glory filling the temple. And what's Isaiah's response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This sudden awareness of whose presence he is in. When we assemble as a church, we assemble in the presence of the Almighty God. And we fall on our knees. We may be tempted like Peter to say, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. But then we realize he's invited us to his table. He says, my body is for you. My blood is for you. You don't have to depart. Come and follow me.
That's what should happen when we worship. Let me uh, just make a few distinctions before we uh, look at a couple of scriptures. Um, if you watched any of the online things, you may have seen me talk about this, but this, just to clear this up in case it's confusing to anyone, there are different uh, kinds of worship, I guess we could call it that, that you, that you read about in the scriptures. And uh, you can see my continued excellence with alliteration. Um, there's what we might call continual worship. That's what we do all the time. So Romans 12, Colossians 3, Romans 14, they talk about this worship we're doing just all the time. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. So there's a sense in which everything, my whole life is worship to God. And everything we're talking about is, is worship uh, because we're offering it to God and doing it with an awareness of Him. But there's also what we call concentrated worship in Scripture that you see where, where it's not just that you're, you are worshiping, but it's like when Moses said that all of a sudden the ground is holy and he takes off his shoes. Because he's saying, okay, now I'm concentrated in a way I wasn't concentrated before. And God uh, does that for us. That's maybe your quiet time. It should be our quiet time. Different times of, of the day where we turn our attention to the magnificence of God. And we worship there. And a form of concentrated worship then is corporate worship. And that's what we do when we come together. And God has always, throughout the history, the Old Testament, New Testament, he's called people together. And some, for some reason, there's a special thing that happens when he gathers us together. And we say, we're together now in the presence of our Lord. And we're calling each other's attention to his glory and goodness. And we're lifting up his name as we're together. And we're expecting him to be there. If you remember the, the beautiful word in 1 Corinthians 14, it's in the context of prophecies happening but he talks about if an unbeliever comes in and sees what's happening in your service and they hear you prophesy, reveal the secrets that are in their hearts, what's happening when that happens? He'll fall on his face and declare that God is truly among you. See, I believe that should not be such an unusual occurrence. I believe there should be various reasons why when people gather with us, they leave saying, believers and unbelievers, saying God was there. Okay, so with that, with that distinction in place, we're talking mainly today, although please don't uh, think this is the only thing we're talking about. We're talking mainly today about corporate worship. But really, corporate worship doesn't work if you don't have life worship. If you bring a heart that isn't worshiping God, that isn't giving life to God, to the worship assembly, you can't expect it to sort of fix it or something, just magically, and then go out and still live on your own. So all of life is worship. We come together and bring our, our worshiping individual temples, and we form a collective temple of the Spirit, and God is present among us. So let me give you just a few definitions, and then we're going to look at a couple of Psalms, and that's all we're going to do. I love A.W. Tozer's definition of worship. And just sit with this for a minute. minute. Admiration to the point of wonder and delight. And that's what we do with God. We admire him to the point where we are amazed and we are happy. Imagine then if we think of offering all of life to God. What we're doing is we're living all of life 
with an admiration for God, with wonder and delight in Him. D.A. Carson says, it's a much longer definition, so I put worship involves, this is one of the things he says, ascribing all honor and worth to the Creator God precisely because He is worthy, delightfully so. Now, you, you may see that there's a, there's a difference there. I mean, one is about admiring, the other is ascribing. And I actually think you need both of those things present in worship. In other words, there is not just a, a sense or a, a reflection or something happening inside us, but there's also what we're bringing and offering. And both of those happen in worship. We offer songs of praise. We offer ourselves. We offer prayers to God. We ascribe to Him these things. We call attention to his greatness and his goodness in worship. And as we do that, we are filled with wonder and delight. We are admiring him. Have you ever thought about the, the, the term that's used in Scripture, glorify God? How do you glorify God? That's closely connected with worship. You can't make God more glorious than he is, can you? No. In terms of his inherent glory, his radiance, his magnificence, I can't do anything to add one little bit to that. It is what it is. It'd be like me saying, I can make the sun shine brighter. I can't do that. So that's, that's one sense of, of glory when you say God is glorious. But you know what? Not everybody's aware of it. Imagine somebody who had never seen the sun. Never seen the light of the sun. And you said, hey, I can actually give you sight. See, that is really what we're doing in worship. It's a different kind of glorifying. It's a calling attention to what is really there so that others see it. It's a reminding of each other of the great glory of our God. It's telling the world. You have these psalms where it talks about, I would declare your name among the nations. I'll sing praises to you among, among the nations. Why? Because they don't know it yet. It, it, in other words, it's spreading the famousness of God. In a way, we're making God famous. Now, he can make himself famous just like that. And he is. But I'm saying he can make everybody on earth just stunned and falling down before him. But he hasn't, he's decided not to do that. He's decided to hand some of that over to us. And he said, now you call attention to my glory before others. And even in the church, you see, a lot of times we get distracted and our, our minds are on other things and, and we need to come back together and I need to have you on a week when I am, am, am torn away. I need to have you saying to me or singing to me about the greatness of our God. And see, you glorify God. You bring glory to him because now you've brought me back to seeing it again. And we're bringing each other and we're bringing others outside of this group to see the glory of God. That's ascribing to him the greatness. And so we're looking for words that, that express it accurately. And as we do so, we're delighting in him. You know what the, uh, the Westminster Catechism says? It, it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that. You see, people who don't know about joy and worship just don't understand what worship really is. We're enjoying God. James 
uh, K.A. Smith has written a book that's influenced me a lot, and he talks about how that's the end of human beings in a Christian understanding. But if you were to ask, what is the end of human beings from a secular understanding? And he said it would be something like this, to acquire stuff and enjoy it forever. You see the difference in the way life can be focused? I'm trying to get stuff or get pleasure or whatever it is and enjoy that forever. Not in Christ. I'm glorifying God and coming to enjoy Him forever. And we learn that that is a delightful thing to do. Here's another definition that kind of uh, captures both aspects. William Abraham says that to worship is to bow down before the Lord of glory. That's right there. We recognize who we are before God. We humbly submit to him. It's to celebrate God's love and majesty. That is the joyful recognition of who God is and what he has done. And it's to invite God to rule over the length and breadth of all creation. Isn't that beautiful? This worship cultivates a continuously renewed attitude of wonder and amazement concerning the character, the action, and the graciousness of God. See, we have to talk about God's character and what he does and his grace to us. We have to seek words and songs and prayers and sermons that reflect God as he is and accurately discuss what God has done. And then we respond to him in light of his great glory. That is where worship happens. Okay, let me just uh, show you a couple of psalms that get at this idea. And like I said, I'm not going to take a lot more time with this. Uh, this is a pretty well-known psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord. If you could ask the Lord for one thing, what would you ask him? Here's the Psalm of David, and what, what uh, it's asking, what he's asking is that, I will, that he says he will seek after, is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, I don't think you have to take that literally as if reading it from the perspective of David here, um, as if he's saying, let me stay in the temple every single day for the rest of my life and, and don't let me leave. But he's talking about being in the presence of God, which is reinforced when he comes to the temple. He says, I want to live in this way, in the house of the Lord. That's the one thing I want. What's the one thing you want? What is it you're thirsting for? As the psalm says, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. See, people who don't know that just don't know, they really don't know what they're looking for. They're trying to find fulfillment in life in all kinds of different ways, whether it's through money or pleasure or success and people's adulation. But when we start thinking straight, we realize we were made for God. 
And this is the one thing we need. This is the thing that makes all the difference. One thing that we'll seek is to be in the presence of God. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I don't think he's talking about literally seeing a picture or a, a, a manifestation. But we might think of beauty as, as goodness that impacts us. Goodness that you can feel. He says, I want to be so close to God that I can feel his goodness, that I can just look at his beauty and be touched by it. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. When we gather as a church, our heart says to God, your face, Lord, do we seek. Hide not your face from us. Here's another psalm getting at similar ideas. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Is it a blessing to sing the praise of God? Not to some people. And if you're just in it for, for trying to sound good or sing it right, that's, that may be a blessing as far as it goes. You can sing anything. And if you're good enough at it, enjoy it a little bit. But that's not the blessing that's held out for us. The blessing is to be singing to God and for God to be present to us, to be enthroned upon our praises. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. <laughs> One day with you, God, is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, to, to actually believe that, you have, to, you have to believe in the goodness of God. If you have a bad image of God, this probably just falls flat for you. And you think, yeah, I see that, but I mean, really, I'd, I'd rather hang out with my buddy. <laughs> we go out and have a good time. You see, unfortunately, some of us have just had such a bad job done on us from an early age where we don't think about God right. And so to be near to God doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It doesn't grip us deeply. But what happens in Christ, when his salvation comes to us, is he starts to straighten out that thinking. And we start to understand who God is. We say, wow, I'd rather be with you than anybody. You, you ever pay attention to how the songs say this? I love these old songs and hymns that talk about this. Be with me, Lord. I cannot live without you. I dare not try to take one step alone. Be with me, Lord. No other gift or blessing you could bestow could with this one compare a constant sense of your abiding presence. Where'er I am to know that you are near. See, that's somebody who gets it. 
And you'll see this in, in other songs if you pay attention to some of these older, older hymns that, that we sing sometimes. You'll, you'll see this idea that these, these deep holy people grasp onto is that if I can just be with God, if I can just have a sense that He is present with me, that's all I need. Prisons become palaces, as one old hymn says. When Jesus dwells with me there, abide with me. What but your grace can foil the tempter's power? See, being with Jesus is what, what we're called to, being in the presence of God as we offer our lives to God all the time and we come together and we call each other's attention to the greatness of our God, to his presence with us. And we learn that it's better to be with him than to be anywhere else on earth. And then we live out of that. I want to close by reading to you something I read from Dallas Willard years ago. I still remember it standing out to me the first time I ever read it, talking about worship services and how we think about them. I hope it makes you think about how you're coming to church. If we honestly compared the amount of time in church spent thinking about what others think or might think with the amount of time spent thinking about what God is thinking, we would probably be shocked. Wasn't that a great service, we often say. But what do we mean? Are we, are we really thinking of how God felt about the service? What is the correlation between God's view of a great service and the human view? We need to be very careful about this or the rule coming from Jesus. Truly, they have their reward may apply to us. People have seen us. We've done our thing. And we have our reward. What does God think? Have we placed him at the center and said, we are here to be with you? You just show up and we will bow down before the Lord of glory. That's the starting point for deep worship. Let's, let's have a prayer. Lord, we pray again, truly that the glory of your name would be the passion of the church. And as we come now to this table that you've prepared for us by your grace, may we come recognizing that we're standing on holy ground. and with our hearts humble before you, falling down before you, and may we know that you are truly among us. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.